the Vietnam War and the push for US involvement was a result of the Gulf of Tonkin incident. A lie. The Iraq War famously is a result of lies. Wars in Somalia are a result of lies. The Second World War and the German invasion of Poland was a result of carefully constructed lies. That is war by media. Let us ask ourselves of the complicit media, which is the majority of the mainstream press, what is the average death count attributed to each journalist? Julian Assange from uh, a speech that he gave in 2010 uh, at an anti-war rally. Uh, this is Randy Credico, Randy Credico, live on the fly, uh, Assange Countdown to Freedom. We uh, are doing a series of comedians, uh, American comedians, uh, who are in support of Assange. We had uh, Lee Camp on the other day. This um, next uh, comedian uh, was actually taped about five or six days ago, all right? And we did it with live music and we got kind of backlogged. And uh, so we're presenting it now. And it's a good friend of mine by the name of Rick Overton, who's been in the trenches doing political humor and uh, political activism for, I mean, I've known him since the early eighties and he's really a dynamic guy. He's an actor, uh, he's a writer and uh, he is a great uh, satirist. So, um, by the way, the reason why I'm wearing this outfit is because I went into the city today for the very first time into Manhattan and kind of walked around with a mask on. I uh, went to 42nd Street, and uh, there you see me there at 42nd Street. And uh, then I went all the way downtown to the West Village, uh, went by um, Stonewall. Uh, it's the big Pride Week, and that's what these flags are all about. And uh, then I took the subway home and uh, there you see me on the subway and i was wearing this outfit and i was sweating even though this is a seersucker jacket but um we have a uh, kelly lane who is in um in uh, north carolina she's not just doing the engineering on, on the previous uh, program and this one uh, she's also doing the editing because our other editor uh, has been way late and uh, we'll see uh, uh, how that uh, works out uh, but they, they both do a tremendous job. And uh, so this is Rick Overton. Uh, we actually are uh, going to go to that right now. I'll be back afterwards. In this um, uh, uh, taping, uh, we actually did it with Rafi Delugoff, uh, who is a great piano player. And so we'll see you. I'll be wearing a different outfit and see you on the other side in about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
Delugo, folks. We're uh, moving things around here like a garage sale. Um, and that's Rafi Delugo from the uh, old village gate that I used to work way back doing comedy. I think 1981 was the first uh, time I ever worked there. Everybody worked there, all the greats. Uh, and uh, I don't know if Rick Overton has. By the way, this is Assange Countdown to Freedom, episode 26. And uh, stand up for Assange, live on the fly with Randy Predico. As I said in the, uh, in the preamble, in the last segment, uh, we got three very, very uh, intelligent and uh, committed uh, comedians, uh, veterans that I've known over the years that have always done smart stuff and politically progressive uh, material. And I'm being joined right now. I don't know if you ever worked Rick Overton at the Village Gate, but that was some club. Did you work there? I have worked there. As a matter of fact, I have worked there. I worked there in a comedy team and on my own. Overton and Sullivan worked there. And then I went off on my own and did a show, a couple of shows there. I see. Well, wait a second, you were, it was, it was Overton and Sullivan way back and i remember you guys were working at the even before i moved to new york i think 1980 yeah. i moved to new york uh but were you already together overton and sullivan and sullivan we started then? in in uh late 73 broke up in 78 i was on my own from 78 till now wow 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 that was a great it's a room. team it's hard teams are hard i know. They only pay you I, I know for the same span of time as the uh one guy ahead of you it's only right. one check. Right. That's true. Uh, you know? Okay, if you're Otto and George or Edgar <laughs> Burton, right? Yeah. Oh. Okay. One of those. Great yeah, Edgar absolutely. Uh, at, at any rate, uh, it's good to see you. So I haven't worked good with you. Good to see you, you man. I have uh, not I really... worked with you in ages. And I it's said, so you know long. what? I said, I got to have a guy on that I know uh, understands all of this because there are a lot of comedians. I mean, you know my old joke, every time a steel mill closes, there's 5,000 new comedians, right? <laughs> In the 80s. Well, it's true, yeah, okay. but you've been, you're a veteran, you've been out there, you actually started before me, if you started in 73. I, I did my first gig in 74, so. Uh, we're pretty close. Yeah, we're very close. But I was doing impressions back then. I was Great already impressions. like- impressions, great. Yeah, well, I stole my Nixon. From um, David Fry, if oh, you yeah. remember David Fry, <laughs> I stole. He did. You know what? David's voice was okay, but the face was insane. He had a Steve Carell shape shift. Just you could make the. You could do this face. I learned whatever he did was added gold. But there are other guys that were the voice. I think your voice was closer, but his face yeah, was genetically. He did an exit. Let me yeah, see your next best Nick. Give it the best before. face. He had a rubbery face. He definitely yeah. did. And so did uh, Frank Gorshin. Best impressionist that didn't get the credit he deserved. One right. of the great impressionists of the 50s and 60s. And there were several magnificent guys back then. He was on top of it. He did John stuff Viner. nobody else was doing. He would do, yeah, and, yes, exactly. John They're Viner great. was great. Uh, how about that guy Kirby, George Kirby? Yes. Yeah, Remember but Gorson, they just said, oh, he's a character actor. He plays bad guys. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He does play a lot of bad guys. But he was the Riddler, right? Yeah, and he was, the, he was the, the conflicted guy on Star Trek, the black and white cookie guy, you know? I'm getting a phone call from um, my um, 
I'm getting a phone call right here from from David Fry's uh, nephew. <laughs> Just no. He Fry would Fry would spend. I met him at Dangerfields in '83. Yeah, me too. And there, the improv. And he was there, and he'd say to Bobby, the big doorman, saying, "Bobby, who does the best impressions? <laughs> you do, David. Who's the best yeah. impression?" And he really was one of the all-time great, under, not underrated, but under acclaimed. You know what I mean? Because people knew he was good. Right. Well, he was. The thing is, he got narrowed into being one thing. Right. And no right. one remembered he did other stuff, and he just he stopped doing it because there wasn't any money in doing the other ones. And then right. that just kind of went away. Yeah. And he got he got a sort of a bond meter to layer two, you know, because of the Nixon. Yeah, he did a great William. Then, yeah, uh, he, oh yes, amazing Buckley. Yes, it, I actually was influenced by this album he did. It was uh, he did three or four comedy albums, and one was Nixon, a fantasy, Watergate, a fantasy, which actually had. Uh, Walter Winchell was the uh, was the talking <laughs> voice or head uh, throughout that. It had a nice arc to it. You know who wrote it? Gabe Kaplan wrote half. Is that of right? Yes. Yeah. It's called. Oh, I never know that. Impressions of the impressions. I was. It was nineteen sixty nine, seventy, seventy one, and I would do boy uh, seventy two actually. I would do impressions of his impressions from that album. And that's how I really got started. But. But doesn't doesn't every impression need a code breaker? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Roger Cabler is not known for the fact that he might very well have likely broken Walken. The what? He might have code broken Christopher Walken. Roger oh. Cabler. He does Robin now. His one man shows about Robin, but he he's the first guy I ever saw doing Walken. And everyone went, oh, right. It, it sounds like this. Right. Oh, he yes. code broke it. You saw all the comedians go. Right. Right. Now, you're the same way with the guy who was in Bond, James Bond, uh, the original. Oh, uh, Sean James. Connery. Yes. Yeah, Connery. Well, yes. if you are to do him today, his voice is up here. Yes, it's, it's uh, 89 years old, and uh, I live in Barcelona. He got it. He's Scottish, right? Like you are? You're uh, Scottish. I'm Scottish, yeah. Right. I'm Scottish. You're I'm from yeah, Overtoon over or Overton? <laughs> I'm from Clan Macintosh. Clan Macintosh. It's a great uh, country. Overton's out of dad's side, but mom's side's all Macs. You spend much time there? Not enough. Oh, really do you love it? Have you been there? Have you been to Edinburgh Fringe or anything like that? Oh, it's I did see Outlanders though. I love yeah. Outlanders. Did you watch that? <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. All seven hundred episodes. Oh wow. Yeah. I'm not well, just you should, One day, you know, you kind of a world traveling cat. At one time, you got to get out to Scotland one day, man. I've been there. Oh, I'll how be many times have you been? I've been there for three days, four days. At my oh, friend Greg oh. Murray, the former ambassador from the uh, UK to Uzbekistan, close friend of mine, uh, oh. I was just with him at the Assange trial. But he invited he and his wife invited me to stay with them in Edinburgh, and I stayed with him and this fellow by the name of Hugh Kerr, uh, who's a, a former member of the European uh, Parliament, 
a very smart guy, knows opera. I had him on the show one time talking about opera, the, all the political uh, motivation behind many operas that are hidden. You know, he went through all of them. You know, mm. that, that most radical musical form is opera. At any rate, uh, he's one of yours, man. And um, it's really good to see you. Um, and what are you, Rafi DeLugoff says that you're in this show that I haven't seen where you play the Tonight Show Booker. Yeah. Uh, I'm dying up here. I'm dying up here. And it's on yeah. Showtime. It's now archived because we're down and that's done and it's not coming yeah. back at least until they complain for it and then we will but uh it's about it's a fictitious universe that also includes the store and the improv with semi-real semi-fictitious owners that you kind of recognize and then some comedians are real and then some are archetypal blends and it's all mixed together and i'm right. sort of i'm sort of the cordova i'm a lot to cordova and a little bit of uh you know, Jim McCauley. Jim McCauley and then LaSalle, yeah. So right. yeah, the, a mixture of the different bookers. So right. that's that's kind of the schmear I was the on top of the bagel I wound up being. I it like fun. Yeah, it must be. I, I got believe the wonderful performances out of all the people. Our favorite people were just knocking it out of the park with their acting. The acting really? was magnificent on these. They gave you gotta see the performances. Brad Garrett, it's he brings tears to your eyes. Brad Garrett's in it. Who else? Who else? I have not seen this. You got to see it, man. You were there for some of this, so you got to see it. See it right. through. It's a dark, I won't say dystopian, but it's a dark look at the comedy world, but isn't completely funny all the way. There's moments of humor, but it's showing the, uh, the daggery side, you know? Right. Um, well, I definitely got to see that. I mean, you've been doing you I can't do. since 1973. What was the first national TV show you ever did? National? Or any big television show, one that you were looking forward to doing that you did. It was did. a small thing that turned into something so many. It was our first one. Roger and I got a shot to do the thing. Thanks to uh, Jerry and Ann, Stiller and Mira, they got me and Rod. They were a team. They liked us. They liked the other team at the improv. We were the other team. Uh, Edmonds and Curley, Overton Sullivan. There's a bunch of teams. But... Uh, they liked us. And so they said, how would you like to do the Thanksgiving show with Bill Boggs live on Channel 5 in Manhattan? And we went, oh, wow, that would be unbelievably great. We were the waiters ruining the, the, the Thanksgiving dinner while they were having food and stuff like that. Going, just hamming, just improvise and ham it up. And that was the show. And they said, you were very funny. Thanks for coming down to do the show. And Roger and I went off, and he went his way, and I went mine. I'm walking back. And I'm walking through Central Park, and I run into John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And I went, oh, you just capped off a perfect day. And he went, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's a very good impression. You do, you know, once in a while, you'll toss out an impression that's offbeat. Right? Yeah. What are some of the uh, other ones? I uh, just... Uh, I've been getting lost with my new Morgan Freeman GPS. Yeah. San Fernando Road. Ooh. There, there was a time. This was all orchards through here. A man could dig his hands in the soil, make a name for himself. 
put two kids through college as, oh, I'm sorry, I think we missed the exit for the five. That is dead on. That is absolutely dead on. And it means a lot to me because um, the movie Shawshank Redemption, uh, which is about prison. Andy Dufresne. Right. Wow, that's good. Can I tell you something why it's so special to Thanks, me? Man. That was made. That was made in Ohio at the Ohio State Reformatory. The movie, the the script is Maine, but the actual shooting was in Ohio. You know, playing the part of a Maine prison at the Ohio State Reformatory. My father did ten years in jail there. Back before For I what, was Randy. For what? Uh, safe cracker. Nine. 1935. I got to show you. I'll, I'll put up the, um, the, uh, the mug shot. So he did like 10 years in prison. I don't know, like 21, 22. Uh, and at prison, and you can see how dank and dark and scary and imposing that prison is in a movie. Imagine my father. He was actually the male nurse on a tuberculosis ward there back then because oh, there was a, a big gig, outbreak right? today of covid in prisons back then there was a big outbreak of tuberculosis so um that's the reason why i bring that up because we have this gentleman by the name that we both admire julian assange that is in this fortress called uh, balmorish he's been there for a year without any charge other than the u.s wants him for violating the Espionage Act. What's your take on that as a political free speech satirist? Well, I think, well, as a satirist, I believe that they're working in America's best interest. Now, what do I mean when I say America? Well, Randy, I mean 15 people who don't live in America. They're billionaires who live somewhere else in the world. But when I say we're here to defend you, those are the 15 people I mean. Right. And I know that the troops in our streets are here to enforce security, safety, and peace. And de Blasio, <laughs> and de Blasio has a solution. Here it is. He's going to clean the police up. You know what he's going to do? He's going to use a sham wow. And he's going to clean them up. And you can take it to the river and wring it out and come back and clean another department, then another. Wow. We're so. being put under hypnosis. And I have a lot of people defending what the TV says word for word because we live in idiocracy point two. And uh, Julian Assange shattered the matrix to the point where that angry spiky thing at the end said, get that guy and forget the rules to do it. And they put them, and then they don't care. You'll notice this is that's one of the first things that should warn everybody. Nobody's following the rules anymore, except us. They don't follow all the rules they set up. Right. And they're just leaving us like sheep, so that you could take the fence away, but just leave the posts, and the sheep assume the the fence is there. We are being we are being corralled right now. And we're being had, Dad. We're being jibbing. Right. So uh, this is definitely an organized effort to keep him quiet. They don't want the information that he has already disseminated out there. They want to 
definitely uh, send a message and to intimidate other uh, yeah. Germans. And why do you think that's his, that head, that's his head on a stick out in front of the building? You want to be right. next to him with your head? Like Cicero, when they put Cicero's Cicero. head on, a, on a, a stick in front of the Roman Senate, right? That was so, the same, uh, it's the same Romans. Right, the same Romans, different place. Uh, but, different uh, different fact, Rome. He brought that up. He brought up the fact that, um, that you can do whatever you want here, right? But oh, if anyone it somewhere else, somewhere else, uh, that rules uh, don't apply. In other words, what applies to the people of Rome don't apply to Rome's kingdom outside its empire. You understand what I mean? So uh, not only do I, I understand the first amendment. I mean, in other words, this is a First Amendment deal. Him publishing, right? So the New York Times publishes it. Uh, the Washington Post publishes it. CNN plays uh, the collateral damage video, and so does MSNBC, and so does everybody else. But they're not subjected to the same kind of rules that he's subjected to, which is it's a total double standard. It's a double standard, and it's an elite yeah. double standard. And we'll go right back to Nixon when he said, yeah, but those rules don't apply to me. That's it, right. We've so, had a warning for years that this is how those people really operate, you know? We've been warned for decades. Right. They never play by the rules, right? We do, but they don't. Yeah, Not we do. Us. Like we said, the people that are running the show, and you see it right now, the police don't play by the rules, the judges don't play by the rules, the prosecutors don't play by the rules. But we're supposed to. We're right? loyal. We're trained like pets. Yeah, I see. That's very good. Uh, let me ask you a question. Your very first show was not uh, the Smothers Brothers. But I, I yeah. want to go to the Smothers Brothers before I forget, uh, because they did some groundbreaking uh, stuff back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know. Can you take us through what the Smothers Brothers, I know you're, you're friendly with them, uh, and the sacrifices they made? Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> they got huge network trouble. They got canceled for saying the messages they were saying about Vietnam, and uh, there were very few people speaking up against it. You know the only, the, like there's maybe three people who spoke out like that? Rod Serling was one with the Pip episode. Which episode? He was a big Pip. It was the right. Pip episode. Right. His kids die. He dies in Vietnam, and he's tortured by it, you know. And it's like no one was touching Vietnam then. It was the earliest days of the conflict, you know. And uh, then there was one, uh, and there's another one. I can't remember the, the name of it. But he was always talking about either the aliens coming and causing social disorder with us and stuff like that. Right. He was, he was talking about stuff that was going on racially. And uh, he covered a lot of very brave things. There were some pioneers back then because they went up against the world of hell. You're and talking about, brothers, you're talking about Rod Serling. Serling Rod and the Serling brothers. Yeah. Rod Serling was a very hip guy, man. Oh, I, I know. I know. I know. And then he even tried when he came back with Mike Gallery, he tried to get political. And they said, you know what? We've had enough of you. Right? Yep. That's it. Yep. Yeah. The Smothers Brothers, uh, they had Steve Martin on staff and uh, the incredible satire. They had to be so careful how you poke the beast back then. You had to do very lightly, but it was surgical. It was brilliantly surgical.
how you would attack an issue like that. Because you, you can't do it like a Netflix special now. Back right. in 1968 on CBS at that time span at night. Huge guardrails. Huge guardrails back yeah, then. Yeah, electric fence. You get, you get zapped. <laughs> you still got it, man. You still got it. You so, still got it. So what happened with, uh, with the Smothers Brothers? They did the deal on Vietnam, and then the network said that's it, and they got thrown to the side of the they road. Got, got elbowed out, you know, for being honest and speaking yeah. out about truth and Nixon and stuff like that. Sure. Rowan and Martin stayed around. Right? In the Carol Burnett show. Right? Yeah. It's difficult, man. It was very difficult. You only had a few networks, and, you know, people did not like – they did not like uh, those network executives to be pushing buttons, right? I mean, do you remember what happened to um, to Jim Garrison when he was on with uh, Johnny Carson? Remember with right. the with the conspiracy theory, which you know it's pretty pretty clear that there was a conspiracy, but you know they ridiculed him. Old Jim Garrison, mm -hmm. Carson did. You know, but at any rate, why aren't there not more political satirists or comedians out there like you and the other two I have on today. Why well, I, uh, I have to assume it's because there's so much supporting Julian Assange. So I want to know. You don't uh, you don't hear too much support amongst Well comedians. just in general. The the political satire satire in general, there's this unless you're already on a network with it, there's not a lot of money on the road with it. There's a lot of gigs that don't want to hear it at all. And so if right. you're living not on TV and already established with your spot on SNL or on HBO once a week or whoever is the voice for that network's version of a generation, there's no other room for you. And so you got to do the road instead or do your podcast and there's not a lot of money in it. And they're trying to just stay alive and it's too bad. I wish there were a value system that didn't censor truth to keep art running. Those things should be separated like church and state, but they're not. You should be, ha you should be able to have sustenance doing so that people enjoy it, you know? I mean, and they sure need it. I don't expect it ever to be subsidized. I don't think that's realistic. Yeah. It's, it's but I think, you know what I think now? I think people would be extra open to hearing what satire is has to say about things, whereas they might have been kind of blasé and blocked it off before. Right. I think so. I think some gates have opened uh, very wide these days. You know, oh. I think, I think, I mean, I, look, with this president, the last president I wasn't thrilled with, this president I'm not thrilled with at all. Uh, they're going, he's definitely, but there is a, a little bit of a difference. This guy is so bad. This guy, Trump, is so bad. Uh, yeah. Now, what do you think coming up in this election? Biden was never great. But are we at a point right now that this guy, this is 32 Germany? Are we there? Yeah. This is Hindenburg versus Hitler. But, is that it? Except it, it, it's, it's the theatrical staged version of it. And it's being all, it's, it, it, they're having meetings. How much lower does Trump have to go to get Joe to look better? And it keeps digging and digging, and there's fucking Joe the whole time right next to him, looking him in the face. And so I think the whole point is we're being set up. Progressives were set up in 2016. We learned between 2016 and now that they are 
going to blame us and set us up as patsies for something that is an impossible equation. Joe Biden, who's going to be torn to shreds by the other side, is set up so that they will lose. And they get, oh, you progressive did it again. Except they did it too much. They're morons. And they overdid it. And we caught them at the trick. And now that trick is blown. And it won't work. And we ain't taking that shit. And so when they try to say, oh, you progressives ruined it for us again. No, it was you, you lazy, uninformed, centrist assholes. This was your fault to begin with. It's still your fault now. And you'll use the same trick twice because you're stupid. Right. So once they get in, and like you said, uh, he's dug a hole to the center of the fucking earth. Uh, the whole Trump. point is to be good negotiators actually negotiate scare them the entire time so that they are terrified of you abandoning them or they will run roughshod over you every single time and every given moment is proof is that they the have reason to be terrified it only because that we just dropped the curfew here why aclu scared them and they dropped it they have to be scared of us and we have to be good negotiate push left push left push left and don't stop until November. That's more important is, is than any. Why I'm going to give my commitment now. Is push, that why? Push. Is that why these daily rallies and demonstrations must continue? They've got to keep yeah, going. Gonna. It's, it's gonna. It's uh, it's not in our hands. It's gonna once go. It stops, and they open up a machine that doesn't stop now. What's that? No, this way. I said once it stops, they'll pull the rug from under the movement, and it'll be over. So it just has to go on. I mean, I'm amazed that it's gone on for 10 days. Can You're I absolutely go right, Ren. Oh, they're, they're how to sabotage. What's list the things that could sabotage this movement? What would they be? Um, what could sabotage is that uh, there'd be a, what do you call it? One of those um, uh, black flags. What are they called? Uh, not black flags. Um, false flags. False flags. False flags. False flags. Yes. <laughs> Right, right. False flag. And then you get someone uh, that's a patsy that is actually with the reactionaries pretending to be, you know, then you got the Oswald, to, uh, you know, kind of guy out there. You're seeing the piles of bricks, big piles of bricks stationed for fake rioters that are all white kids in hoodies. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. What about the umbrella guy? The umbrella white guy. They're all PMCs or whatever they are, you know. And uh, that how they're letting themselves get caught everywhere. There is now like nine hours of footage, unbelievably incriminating footage that this entire event is being rigged and it's collapsing on itself for that very reason. They're still being aggressive and get a little more meanness out before they close us down. But I think they know they're in 1944 to 1945 already. What does that mean? That this was Germany. Oh yeah, they Berlin. We are. They're not 1939. No. They started at, uh, at back when they were beating down the pipeline people. That was 1939. Right. right. Now they're at 1945. Oh, they're almost at 45. And when it's 46. And the buildings oh. are rubble. All the buildings what? are rubble. The buildings are all rubble. Is that what you're Their saying? Their institutions are falling to rubble, figuratively. Yeah. The belief in them is collapsing entirely. Right. The good faith they had won so hard at 9-11 has evaporated. Right. They but killed they, it. But they still, I got to leave here in a couple of minutes, but I. I, I wish we I, could keep talking, buddy. Well, we could. 
but then I'd have to cut this into two shows. What's the problem? <laughs> I know. I got to cut this into two shows and already, and I'm going to be infusing. Uh, I mean, you know, we could just make this one show and I can make um, uh, Provenza one show because he can talk for a long time. You I know don't what mean I mean? To make, I don't want to cut into anybody's time. I was just in, I like talking I'll with you all. I, I miss two. talking with you. I'll just do two different shows. That's all. I mean, there's no rules here. This is not, um, uh, you know, this is not the Tonight Show. This is not um, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, no. you know? This is uh, the lifestyles of the poor and infamous is what we are. <laughs> That's who we are. Exactly right. who we are. <laughs> Look, it's, a lonely, it's been a lonely world out there the last 35 years doing political humor. Now, everybody thinks they're a political humorist. And I got people on Facebook saying, stop attacking a a Andrew Cuomo. And, and don't, don't say anything bad about Biden or don't say anything bad. You know, wait a second, man. I've been doing this since 19... 80. I've made a lot of sacrifices. They suddenly. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. No, I'm, I'll say, like, I know someone who's the host on The View, okay? Who you know, right? Like, always trying to uh, crit critique me. Uh, she's a friend. She used to be here, the one with the red hair. Uh, and, you know, suddenly she's become very political this year because they're all nervous about Trump. All right? But they gotta also, if they wanna get people like me, they gotta admit that uh, Obama was not such a great guy and that Biden is not such a great guy. And that they Cuomo act like he's fine. It's insulting when you say he's totally fine. Don't insult me. Say tactically we need to do him even though he sucks. But when you say there's nothing wrong with him, oh, F you, I'm not listening to what else you say. You're crazy and you're a liar. When they right. say there's nothing wrong with Biden, you know something's wrong with Biden. You just think I'm stupid. Kiss my right. ass. That's not the way it's going to go in 2020. Too much is out now. Right. We know there's a lot, a lot of, he's got a bad record, Biden. Let's be honest. Video. Video. There's YouTubes. He has right. years of bad stuff. Plan Columbia. Plan <laughs> Columbia. He won't even come out and say that it's a, that it's uh, a bad thing to go after Julian Assange. You can't even get him to say that, you know. Now, Jeremy Corbyn in London didn't before the election and did afterwards. Did he come out mm. and enthusiastically get behind Julian Assange? Mm. Here, the only one that did was uh, Tulsi Gabbard. That's about it, behind Julian Assange, who's running for office. And then, of right. course, she was marginalized as some kind of freak because uh, she opposes uh, war. I mean, I didn't support. I was She's a, a Russian. A, She's I, obviously a Russian. Oh, right. Yeah, well, I was a Russian, too. I was, I was helping out, uh, and I got all sorts of subpoenas for a couple of years. And somehow I, I was facilitating uh, Donald Trump. And a lot of liberals still think that, that I had something to do with Trump's victory. It's like, and Julian Assange had something to do with Trump's victory. I said, wait a second. Julian Assange did not give a map to Hillary Clinton that excluded Michigan and Wisconsin. Hello. Thank you. How did she lose that election? Two major states. She, she never went. She, she knew what would happen if she went. She knew what would happen right. when you face an absolute labor zone. Remind people what would happen if she had gone. Yeah, Remind people. Uh, it would be catastrophic for her. There would be booing 
These are working people that it would not have gone. That She works for a kind of centristic, unbelievably comfortable kind of caring universe, you know, of privilege. And only recently political at all because it's starting to actually encroach on them. But it's made of narcissism and selfishness. It's unbelievably, it's unbelievably narrow-minded to, to pick a replica of yourself at the end of the damned world. That's, that's pretty well said. You're sharper than ever, man. Seriously. Are you able to get out there and, uh, you know, practice with that axe? Huh? No. There's no work for that, man. Stay indoors? There's no work for that, Randy. There's no work for this kind of stuff. There's no work. Well, right now there's no work, but I'm doing, I'm doing Zoom every now and then, you know, but I'm not like, there's no, there's no shows right now, man. There's no shows for any of us, but right. you're doing more. You're working harder than a lot of us right now. What about at right here, right now what? doing this? Well, listen, I'm enjoying doing this and I must tell you, we need you. I'm going insane. We need you. I've been, I'm going insane if I didn't have this outlet, you know, cause yeah. I don't go out. I literally don't go out. You know, and, uh, you know, I don't go to the, I don't even go to the demonstrations, but you know what? I support the demonstrations and I've done demonstrations for 45 years. You know, I'm in my mid sixties. It's their turn right now, right? Other people can be at the demonstrations, but I can't go, you know, I really can't go to them. I'm not because I'm afraid of being, I got arrested eight times. I got arrested more times, uh, more times than Willie Sutton. Okay. I got popped a lot over the years at demonstrations, maybe 15 times. So um, I encourage it. I don't encourage the violence by the agent provocateurs that have come in and they've tried to co-op and undermine this entire movement. Because it Just needs- Just look for the new shoes. Remember when we called them new shoes? Remember yeah. New shoes? The hippies would all be around and the guy would come up with his women's wig with a bandana holding a synthetic wig with a tiny, tight little mustache and the giant round sunglasses for women and uh, the crisp brand new bell bottoms that are ironed with a crease and brand new shoes, shiny new shoes. And you go, say fellows, does anyone have the roofer? <laughs> anyone selling the roofer? Yeah. What about the guy, the guy who invented the car that just ran on water? Oh, sure. Say, I invented the car that ran on water. <laughs> Mm. Well, I forgot it was part of a routine where a bunch of people were going up and there going goes up the, the escalator. Yeah, the, the light right. bulb that never burns out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was like a routine you did back in the 80s, right? Yeah, that's a little bit. We're going to play this clip of you uh, from this other show that you told me about right now, and that is from the six and the six minute and 11 second video. Can you set it up for me? The one Thanks. you sent me this morning. This is my uh, wraparound on my 91 HBO special, which you can see in segments on YouTube. And this is when Professor Overton is trying to explain what, because little Timmy wants to know what tomorrow will be. And so Professor Overton says, maybe you should listen to Clancy the Roach. And so I have a little special effects version of me on top of a globe. And he sings Timmy the song of what is, where we are actually today. Which is, what's the name of the song? Just, Maybe, huh? it's, just, it's the Clancy the Roach song. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. We'll go to that. See, that's a pretty tall order. But I think I know someone who can help. Timmy, meet Clancy the Roach. Woo! Top of the morning to you, boys. I couldn't help but overhear that there was some confusion as to what tomorrow might hold. Well, it just so happens I have a song. And I can tell you why, cause we're hearty little bastards who refuse to give up and die. Here's to the greedy yuppie assholes, for as far as the eye can see, you use up everything you've got in the world that belong to me. Belong to me, oh to me, then the world that belong to me. So keep on making nuclear weapons and blotting the earth with oil. Keep rooting your favorite pro wrestler when the ozone's about to boil. Blow your money on TV preachers, keep pumping your kids with drugs. Put your faith in big corporations and leave the planet to the bugs. To the bugs, to the bugs, and leave the planet to the bugs. So you say, this roach is a real downer. His song makes me want to cry. And I'll be singing this song, my naive little friend, long after your kind has said goodbye. Well, it's time to smell the coffee, which I'm singing you by the cup. I have to splash it in your face to wake your lazy asses up. Asses up, to wake your lazy asses up. Asses up, asses up, to wake your lazy asses up. I thank you. So, Timmy, are you following any of this so far? I'm not sure, but... But what? But your special effects are scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> Don't worry, that's normal for a boy your age. Golly, Professor Overton, what's going on? He must be going to live concert footage. Here, put these on. Well, that was pretty interesting there. All right? We enjoyed, we enjoyed that Clancy the Roach tune. Who wrote that? I did. Oh? Well, you get the music, and I did the words. What kind of music do you like in general? Uh, well, I like... I'm loving my brother's music. My brother is knocking it out of the park. And on YouTube, Steve Overton, SX Overton, uh, on YouTube, listen to his music. And it's all him, every instrument, recording, mixing, voice. He does no it like kid. Todd Rundgren. It's unbelievable. And now he's actually going to be working with the lead singer from Toto. And they're going to do a couple of his songs. And uh, I'm just uh, through the roof. I'm happy for his dues these days. Wow, that's great, man. Now, your father, was he in the business somehow? Totally. He, was, he arranged for Thelonious Monk. Oh, I just heard that. Rafi DeLugoff told me that. I didn't know that for sure. I had to yeah, get hey, it straight. Yeah, hey, Raph, right. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's it. Fantastic. That's the truth. My dad uh, arranged for Monk. He taught at Juilliard. And my mother was one of the cordettes, Lollipop, Mr. Sandman. She was not on the original recordings where the girls got pregnant. Mom jumped into the gown because it would still zip up, and she's on the road. So I was on the road version of the Cordettes, traveling with Mom for a while there. That was fun. It's, it's like the uh, Jimmy Cagney, Yankee Doodle Dandy, the four cones, yeah, right? Yeah, vaudeville kid, the flying okay. boys, yeah. Well, you probably do a good Walter Houston. He was in there. You do a good Walter Houston? 
Well, so, uh, I would do uh How much I, you I, got? I, how much you worth? No, John Houston oh, you do. I, I, I don't do Walter Houston. Yeah, but John Houston from uh, Let me do, You do Walter. You do the Walter. Give it to me. Uh, well, he would say something like, uh, you guys are crazier than a jackass. They're the golden <laughs> over there. <laughs> oh, it's up there. Uh, yes. Over there. Chris Pitt. You want to get the gold? I'm doing Chris Pitt, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, Chris, Chris Pitt has that guy. Yeah, right. oh, that's lovely. Right. <laughs> now, listen, John Houston, I love him. All right, here's my weirdest impression. Here's my weirdest impression. Here's Jimmy Stewart in the spirit of St. Louis when he's flying over Newfoundland and he's leaning out the window and he's trying to get the attention of a bicyclist who's riding along and sees him. And here's his voice. That's cool. I saw it. That's great. I just saw him in the movie with John Wayne, the man who shot Liberty Valance. Oh, you pick it up, Liberty. You pick it up. Uh, you pick up the meat. I watch, listen, that's what I do. I watch Gunsmoke. Do you do a James Garnett, Arness? No. James. Oh, I do, you know, Timmy. Do you like, do you like gladiator movies, Timmy? Yes, yeah. I do later. <laughs> no, no, I was. That's his brother. That's you know they're brothers, right? Yes, yes. What's the guy's name? The guy who was in. Um, oh, uh, I don't do James Arness. Who does James Arness? I don't know, but it's my favorite show now. I've been watching. There's nine thousand episodes. You know, Sam Peckinpah wrote like five of the first six seasons. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys came out of TV. Yeah, but those are really dark. You look at the ones from fifty from nineteen fifty six to nineteen sixty. Uh, Gunsmoke, they're great stories. They're well written and the acting's great and they get it through you just like a bullet train all the way through, man. You can't keep your eye off of it. Really, good really solid. They fill an hour good back in the 50s. It was solid. It was movie making. It was on film. I don't care if it's in color or black and white. They shot it like a movie crane. It was great. They put a lot of work into those. Yeah. Every day you should watch it on um, at 10 o'clock your time. Uh, you can watch at 10 o'clock your time. You can watch yeah. two episodes during the week of the early on MTV. I think it's, it's at MeTV. You can watch early episodes of Gunsmoke. There's a lot of killing that goes on, but there's a lot of philosophy. And, you know, the character is really complex. Miss Kitty's great. I mean, I'm talking about the early days. The first, I mean, it went on for like 30 fucking years. You know, but the first four years are really exciting. And that's what I do with my time during this pandemic. Well, it's the first show that uh, takes place in a whorehouse. Is that what it is? Is that a whorehouse? What do you think Miss Kitty is? Okay. I work some of those clubs. Do you think she's an animal work? rescue <laughs> advocate? No. Jesus. How about the one? That, yeah, because all of the women are downstairs. Like, get, you know, you buy them a drink, right? They come over and they sit yeah, that's, next that's to downstairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, definitely in the whorehouse. Yeah, I guess so. But they're not that blunt about it. But it's it's pretty. No, they're it's thirty years of, 
of having to say it's a saloon right. <laughs> with an upstairs. <laughs> There's the one across the street from uh, that one is the, um, it's got a, just as risque kind of a name. I forgot what it was called. But um, what else is happening now that you are, um, you know, homebound and not spellbound, just homebound? I am going through my storage, finding all my clothing, going through it, everything that could serve somebody else. I fill bags with it. I get it through the laundry cycle, nice and clean, ready to go. I put socks uh, and I and, uh, don't put anything else in. I don't put underwear in, shirts, pants, maybe a jacket, hat if I can find it. And I make a bag, a baggie, and I find some people that are living under these overpasses and it's everywhere. It is everywhere, long, growing. And not just that, but these panel vans, white panel vans you see parked everywhere. That's a whole family in that panel van because they but lost their home. You're talking California. I'm in New York. So... Most people don't know how bad the homeless situation has become. It's unbelievable, heartbreaking. And I bring out clothing and they go, what, what, what is that? What is that? I go, it's clothes, fresh. I don't know. They go, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because they all got bugs and lice. There's no laundry. And COVID, you know, you know, it's everything. It's everything at once on these guys. And so they're doing, they're just surviving in fresh clothes. It's what I can give right now. And some days I'll go, I'll buy a big box of, loaves of bread i'll buy a thing of peanut butters and i'll buy a thing of jellies i mix one 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 plastic utensils because those things don't need immediate refrigeration to hold for a while right they can they're last uh, they're Trigo. not completely they have a lifespan but you can manage if you because and if you're sharing with your friends it's gone before it's a problem so that's the kind of things i'm doing making up bags and i'm going back and i'm just making the rounds and making the rounds and it grows every time i go back You've always been a generous guy, man. Do you go? You um, do this on your motorcycle? Do you still have a motorcycle? Nah, man. No more bikes anymore. Everyone's on the phone. Everybody's on the phone in their car. Right, right. You Everyone's can't, talking on the phone. It's careful. I mean, it's 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 not careful. They're careless, and it's dangerous to be on a motorcycle with everybody on their phone. You're right. You know, everybody. I had so many close calls. I'd be on my bike that had ABS. It was like one of those police bikes a bmw with all the abs computer stuff countless times screech sideways right up to the guy tap 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 on the glass hey asshole and he's like this on the phone wait send yeah what do you want that's the delay time wow i had to get off the bike it was one of my great passions i loved the bike for years i had to walk away so i could all still right. walk well i remember way back before there were cell phones you riding around on that motorcycle with the leather jacket, and then there was that woman with the flowing hair. You, uh, yeah, I had the flowing hair. Huh? I left the flow. The flowing hair is back with the bike. <laughs> well, you got it's yeah, sitting on the tank of the bike. Today. I got to get Provenza on here, man. So we're okay, going to have thank you out here. Wait a second. Yeah, I've got to take you out with some music here. Huh? We're going to take you out with some music. Now let me ask you, like. 30s and 40s music. You like anything from, uh, you know, let's say Gershwin or uh, uh, Cole Porter or any of that music? Rafi DeLuva. No, anything you want. You name it. Hey, did you do any more? How about, how about the one written by Charlie Chaplin, Smile? Smile. Yes, let's do that one. All right, let's go. Smile. What's that drug you're taking? 
smile even though you don't have a dental plan. Smile. smile. Is breaking smile. <laughs> I can't think of the words. Maybe of the second course, uh, Rafi will uh, say. Go ahead, Rafi. Uh, there's a lag. It won't go at the same time. Yeah, I guess not. It's a lag. All right, because I don't know the fucking words, even though I played it a couple of weeks ago. I know the other one when you're smiling. All right, brother. What do you think, man? We're taking you out. And thank you for all your hard work and for uh, your support you. of uh, Julian Assange. You're a good man. Thank you. Free Julian Assange. Free Julian Assange. All right, brother. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Randy. Good all talking, right. brother. Another course of that. When you're smiling, when you're smiling, when you're smiling the whole world smiles you with you. The whole, the whole world, world smiles with you. When you're laughing, when you're laughing keep on you're laughing. They tell the you it's a true minimum. But when you're crying, you bring on that you're crying. Boy, am I out of tune, man. I'm sorry. I can't hold <laughs> Take it. All right. So long. Thank you very, much. very soon. Rick Overton. Take care, Thank bro. You. Thanks, Randy. Talk to you soon, buddy. All right. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Rappy Dulugoff playing the piano like the old days at the Village Gate. I used to work at Village Gate. His father was the owner and did a lot of benefits there and a lot of stand-up uh, performances with us great people, Dick Gregory, uh, Barry Crimmins, and Jimmy Tingle, and probably, I, I know Rick said that he worked there as well. Uh, Rick Overton, what a, what a great guy. Um, by the way, this is Randy Critical, Randy Critical, Live on the Fly, Assange Countdown to Freedom. I think it's episode 28. Can you believe that? And this is our comic series. We have Lee Camp, we have right now uh, Rick Overton, and coming up, uh, we have others. Uh, so uh, we hope to get more uh, professional comedians, satirists out there in support of Julian Assange, because it's really vital that we have influence in this country before this trial resumes. There are a lot of people out there who don't like Julian Assange. They blame him for uh, Hillary Clinton's loss, you know, even though it's crazy to think that way, and uh, Donald Trump's win. So, they, you know, the liberals don't like him, and conservatives don't, because he exposed our racist international wars, all right? Julian Assange is an anti-racist, and what he has proven is that our wars are racist. He's exposed Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, Libya, Honduras, and elsewhere. Uh, so he's done a lot uh, to combat racism uh, on an international level. Uh, there are protests in this country about domestic racism, but there's also international racism. And Julian Assange deserves a, a lot of credit for exposing uh, the uh, U.S. military and uh, all of the intelligence organizations' uh, rape and plunder and murder of uh, people of color around the world. That being said, um, we definitely need to get people on that page. We want to continue this show 
And uh, like I said, we've done, this is 28, uh, we have another 12, 13 weeks before the trial hearing resumes. And we definitely need your help uh, to do this all the way through. Uh, it's vital. Uh, we don't make any money here. We're just trying to pay for the expenses. And you can do that by going to AssangeCountdownToFreedom.com. We've been doing this for four years. Four years now. This is our fourth year of doing this since uh, Julian did the first show uh, way back on uh, April 11th, 2017. So, um, com, and uh, please help. And I want to thank Kelly uh, once again. I, I, I want to thank Jimmy Sunderland. I know uh, she'll be back with us. And I also want to shout out to our, our dear friend, Anonymous Scandinavia, who played a big role in this program for about 17, 18 weeks. And we have not found where they are uh, since that last one, like 10 weeks ago. All right, so um, we're gonna go out. We've been playing this uh, Billie Holiday uh, tune. And this is Billie Holiday, uh, it's called Strange Fruit. It was written by Manny Maripold and planned the last couple of shows. And we will continue uh, to um, kind of memorialize uh, those who are victims of um, police brutality and police violence uh, in the United States. And, uh, see you soon. Thank you very much. With what has happened the last two centuries, uh, African Americans gunned down by law enforcement, enslaved, uh, put to work, uh, convict leasing, put in jail with the drug war. But in the last week, it's really heated up and it's got to stop. Southern trees bear strange fruit, blood on leaves. And blood at the root Black bodies swinging In the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging From the poplar trees Twisted mouth Scent of magnolia Sweet and fresh Then the sudden smell Of burning flesh Here's a fruit Crows to pluck for the rain together, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the 